And of course, the world always says, let's have Christmas every day of the year, but they refuse to embrace the Savior who gives us the power to do that very thing. Amen? And what I would like for you to do is turn with me to Romans chapter 3 this morning. <clears throat> Last Sunday, we dealt with God's plan through the ages, how God worked from creation, even before creation, all through up until the very end, and the goal, uh, the final, the ultimate of God's plan is that God may be all in all. And this morning we're going to narrow down <clears throat> the topic of last week's sermon to God's plan for you personally. What God wants to do in your life. I am glad that God is the great God, the creator God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, I'm glad he is in charge of everything. Even the last election. God is in charge. But let me tell you something. God is not adverse to allowing us to receive the benefits of our wrong decisions. Now, that's not something to get too happy about, but it's part of who God is. Amen? And I am glad that God is in charge. I'm glad that He takes care of all those big things. I'm glad that He keeps the planets in order and all of those things that God does. But I am most thankful that God is a personal God that he is involved in individual lives. And in spite of all the things that he does to make this universe and everything that is, we were, I was talking with a fellow a while, he said, the fact that the universe is so big proves that there isn't a God. I said, wrong. I said, who else but God could waste an entire universe to stick a little planet in the middle of it? I mean, you, it's the problem is we think backwards. That's why the Bible sounds so strange. But this God who is in charge of all wants to work in individual lives. There are certain things that He wants to do in your personal life with you personally intimately, just for you. Now, we've got to be careful. There's a new philosophy out there that relegates God's work to making me feel better about things. That's not God either. His purpose throughout all the ages and His work that He desires to do in your life personally, are in total agreement. They are, if you like mathematics, they are congruent. Uh, they match in every measure. They work together because God is not some schizophrenic being out there that thinks about this and that and all of this. I got a phone call this week from Verizon they said, the, the billing plan, the church is on, no longer exists, so we're going to have to change some things. And uh, I said, do I have a choice? No. You know, you know I mean, I, I just love it. 
And so we went through, and of course, they claim they're saving us money and all this, and we will, uh, uh, we, we, sh- I said, put it in writing. I said, there's no way I'm going to remember all this over the phone. Do we have to do this over the phone? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, we are Verizon. We're a phone company. It has to be done over the phone. Uh, so after about 20 minutes, then they say, we want to verify this. And so they go through all that process. And so I'm looking forward to getting a big stack of paper in the next couple of days. And if the lady was being honest, we actually should be able to save a little bit of money, which would not be a bad thing. But it gets so confusing in this world, does it not? And what we need to understand is that God is perfect in his plan for the universe. And yet he still wants to work in your life. And they're not separate one from the other. You cannot put on your worship attire on Sunday morning and then take it off and go out into the world and be part of the world all through the week, and then come back and put on your worship attire and have God be pleased with you. You say, but I've got to compete in this world. No, you do not. You've got to obey God. God only has one purpose, and if you'll find it, by the way, He'll help you find it. That's what this morning's sermon is about. God's desire is that you will know his will. And what we're going to do, we've all heard of the Romans road. And if you ever have the opportunity to give someone the plan of salvation, explain to them what the Bible says, the Romans road is a wonderful way to do that. In fact, we've printed up cards in the past that you could carry with you with the verses printed out. Uh, We're not going to walk down that same road, but we're going to walk through the same book this morning. And uh, we're going to center on a phrase talking about God that he might. Now, the idea of those words is that God wants to do this his intentions are that this will be uh, be accomplished. But God is not a bully. He's not going to make you do things. I don't know how many people over the years have come through the office and, well, pastor, I just want to be happy. I just want to have a good life. And I have to in various ways and as nice as I possibly can say, well, you're going about it all the wrong way. You see, as long as you have a goal of trying to make your life nice, you've cut God off from doing the very things that need to be done. But when you will make God your goal and obedience to Him your desire, 
that opens the door for God to do more with your life and give you more joy and peace than you could ever imagine. Amen? And so what we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 26 of Romans chapter 3. And just keep your finger in your Bible. Keep it open to the book of Romans. We're just going to walk through the book of Romans today. It says, To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of the book of Romans is... Paul bringing forth God's indictment upon all the human race. Uh, We're familiar with Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, There is none righteous, no, not one. And it says, In contrast to the failure and sinfulness of man, at this time, Jesus' death, His burial, His resurrection, the ministry and life of Jesus... His righteousness, to declare His righteousness. You know, we live in a society where if at first you don't succeed, we just lower the standard. Isn't that the way it works? How many of you know about the United States Marine Corps? I mean, if there's anything you need to know about the United States Marine Corps, you don't want to be on the other side. I mean, they, they train those men, but I can't remember how many years ago it was, but uh, they had to change the entrance requirements to the Marine Corps And they went to the obstacle course, which was known throughout all the military as to be the most uh, trying and dangerous and difficult to perform and to get through. And they had to put helpers at the vertical wall because new inductees might be vertically challenged. Uh, That means they might not be tall enough to grab a hold of the rope that's been dangling there for the last 30 years. And so they had to have somebody help them up to grab a hold of the rope. And if they weren't able to climb that wall, uh, there was someone there to make sure they didn't fall and get hurt and give them a little push over top. Can you believe that actually has happened? No, not for people abusing people, but they've changed all the rules in boot camp. And it made it very difficult for the drill instructors to do what they used to do when they did what they used to do. And we won't go into all those details. But the whole idea here is, not only have we done it there, we have done it with our test scores in schools, we've done it with our entrance exams to college, you You spend the first three to four semesters in college covering what 30 years ago was covered in high school. A bachelor's degree today is worth a high school diploma about 25 years ago. 
You can't do anything without a master's degree today, except be a pastor. I'll tell you, you can't even be a welder. I had a friend who was a welder in Cleveland, Ohio. He had the equivalent of a doctor's degree in welding. In fact, he had spent more time learning to weld than most doctors learn how to take care of people. You see... If at first you don't succeed, we just lower the standards. Aren't you glad that God doesn't lower his standards? Paul wrote somewhere around 60 A.D., if we understand correctly, the book of Romans. And he says, I want to declare to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because this is God's standard. And God will accept nothing less than His standard. Now let's look at this here, the rest of this verse, that He might be just. Now I'll tell you, just and justice and justification is an incredible ideal. But it all falls into disarray if it's not attached to a standard. If it's not measured by something, if it's not controlled, we might say. Justice just simply becomes the act of justification. You see, it's okay to commit murder under certain circumstances. And no, I'm not talking about military. That's not murder. When you're a soldier serving in the armed forces of a country and you're put into armed conflict and you're fighting according to the rules of the battlefield, of which, by the way, there are very few, You're not murdering when you shoot your enemy. You're protecting your homeland. I wish we could get that message out to our military men and women because they come home and they're held by the guilt of what they've done. And that doesn't belong anywhere on the shoulders of those military men and women. But... It is legal to murder in the United States. It's called abortion. That's a constitutionally protected murder. I don't understand that. But we've got people that commit murder all the time. Hire a fancy lawyer. And get off. Let me tell you something. Being just. And justification is often. A very scary topic. 
The only way you can be truly just is you've got to attach that justice to a standard of righteousness. The standard of righteousness is Jesus Christ. You see... If we could, uh, well, let me pick on somebody that's not around anymore. If we could bring John Gotti back. How many remember who he was? And he said, now listen. I'm going to give you the John Gotti seal of approval. I'm going to write a letter to a character reference for you. How many of you would want a character reference from John Gotti? Would it mean anything to you? Well, at least he didn't kill me. But a character reference from John Gotti would actually be a negative thing, would it not? Because his standard of righteousness, uh, shall we say, is rather low. But when God says you're just, there's a difference. And what all idolatry is, is putting man in the place of God. Isn't it? So that's why people compare themselves to Hollywood stars. Because no matter how bad off you are, you're going to look good. I mean, the only place you could go to get worse than the Hollywood stars is the gutters. And of course, they don't get paid to act that way, but the Hollywood people do. You see, in order for God to be just, he attaches himself to a standard of righteousness. There's not an honest person who has ever lived that will not acknowledge that the standard of righteousness set forth by the Ten Commandments and the law of God is the highest known to mankind. No one that is honest can argue that point. Now, there's an awful lot of dishonest people that hold up a Bible, amen. But God has set the standard, and here's what it says. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Could I tell you that God's plan for you is to be justified by the act of God, based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now that is an incredible thought. And if it kind of just flies over your head, uh, you need to go home and think about that. Because God says that He wants to make you just. He wants to erase every sin. Erase is not a good word. 
Because God doesn't erase. He paid for. He cleanses us from sin. Not because he's a good guy and wants to sweep him under the carpet. That's not what justice has to deal with. Justice is making you equal to his standard. And there's only one way God can do that. You have to die. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death passed passed upon all men for that all have It is through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ that God raises us to the level of His righteousness. That makes us just. Justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. So then why do we live in doubt and fear and guilt and frustration? It's because we're not understanding what God wants to do in our personal lives. I mean, if you want to have a Pentecostal fit and jump up and down and scream and holler about something, this is what you ought to be doing it about. Amen? Amen. It's not about the good feeling that's inside. It's the fact that God has erased all of our sin. And I use that bad word again. It's in my mind. He has cleansed us from all sin. Through Jesus Christ. But if you're going to have that justification, you've got to believe in Jesus. Not religion, not church, not how good you are, but in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, we're just going to take a second and work backwards through this verse. Him which believeth not in Jesus is not justified because he cannot meet God's standard of righteousness and therefore he is eternally lost. But God wants to be just that he might justify you so that you might have salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Now we know this verse and we use it a lot. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, the Son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, number one, God wants you to be just. Number two, God's plan for you is for you to be part of that group of brethren that Jesus is the first begotten of. (coughs) Excuse me. You see, Jesus did not go through the cross as some exercise to satisfy a logical conclusion drawn upon the holiness of God. Jesus went through the cross so that you and I 
and many other who have believed on him through history might be joined with him in his holiness. How in the world can we get there? Only through the work of Jesus Christ. It was for us that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. But let me go back to that first point. Everything rises and falls on that. You cannot be Jesus' brethren. You cannot be included in that group if you stay the way you are. There's nothing you can do that's going to bring you to that point The work has to be done by Jesus. It was initiated by God the Father. It was done, performed on this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, and it's applied to the individual life through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, could you imagine? I've often, little tongue-in-cheek here, have use this joke, I'm glad that that person is willing to call me their friend. I mean, it's one thing for me to call someone my friend, but it's a whole lot better when that person identifies as my friend because that means it goes both ways, amen? Now, how many people, if we were to go out on the street today, would say, how many of you want to be a friend of Jesus? Well, I think most people would say, well, I'm not against him. I, sure, well, let's sit down and have a beer with him someday. I and mean, that's the prevailing attitude of our society, is it not? But Jesus says, I want you to be called my brother. Now, that's an incredible thought, is it not? Amen. But, In order for that to happen, he's got to change a few things. He's got to change the way you think, the way you talk, the way you walk. He's got to change everything. In fact, it's so dramatic a change that the old life has to cease and he has to give you a completely brand new life. That's why it's called being born again. Amen? He wants you to be conformed to the image of His Son. And of course, if you really want to understand the image of Jesus Christ, the Christmas story is a great place to start. I heard tell several years ago of some Islamic imams that were going around the country blaspheming the virgin birth. Now, they wouldn't use that terminology. But they would, how could you change God's diaper was one of their little preconceived uh, uh, blasphemies is what it is. You see, they couldn't comprehend a God that could humble himself Because their God isn't the God of this book. How 
how could God have a son? I don't know. You know, he never explained that to me. But he told me about it. And if I have a choice between believing God in his Bible and believing you, guess who loses? I'm not even worried about it. No contest. Leave me alone. I'm going to believe in God. Amen? I'm going to believe his word. He wants me to be conformed to the image of his son. And how many religious people go around would you like to kiss the ring? I'll tell you what, I'd like to do a lot to that ring. Kissing it ain't one of them. Oh, how many of you tired with the sickness of arrogance that has permeated our society today? Uh, study what Jesus did to become a man. You see, he wants us to be his brethren. Let's go to Romans chapter 9 and verse 23. And this is might be just a little overlapping, but again, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth on Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 23 of chapter 9 says and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afford prepared unto glory. I know we're just taking these verses out, but we're trying to keep them in the context here. Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 is God's explanation of what happened to the Jewish people and how they fit into the New Testament if they're willing to continue following God. Uh, we just had someone was preaching about how that Paul would go in and start a church in just a couple of weeks. How did that happen? Well, it was real easy. There were people that had spent their whole life studying the Word of God in the Jewish faith. And they had to turn loose of the traditions and accept Jesus as their Messiah. And guess what? All of a sudden, they were New Testament Christians. There obviously would be a line drawn between those who would refuse to believe in Christ. Otherwise, the entire Jewish people would have been swallowed up into New Testament Christianity. Not everybody is going to believe. Read the Bible. But you see, God wanted to make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afford prepared unto glory. Do you know that Jesus knew who was going to get saved and who would refuse to get saved before he said, let there be light? It's what the Bible teaches before the foundations of the earth. But are we going to take the fatal plunge off the edge and say God planned it that way and predetermined who would believe and who would not? I refuse to do that. 
Because the Bible does not tell me of a God who created man in his own image that he did not give an opportunity to repent. I just can't find that in the scriptures. Because God is not the author of sin. And so, what he's telling us is he wants us to understand God's love. But not everybody's going to understand it. The vessels of mercy are going to know the riches of his glory. You say, well, how can, how can I know whether I'm one of those vessels or not? That's so simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how can I know if I'm truly believing or not? Well, how can you know if you're telling a lie or not? You've got to match up what you say with the truth. That's how you tell. It's an honest statement. It's a commitment. Now, have you ever made a commitment that you've kept perfectly in your whole life? Absolutely not. Even if you say, I'll never make a commitment. Wrong. You're going to blow that too. We are sinners. The commitment isn't based on our sinlessness. It's based on his justice. Amen? And he wants you to understand his love. You want to have Christmas every day of the year? Understand his mercy and his grace that he has fitted you as a vessel of mercy which is prepared to glory. God wants to, if you want to follow the picture out, He wants to take your life as it were a jar, a vessel, fill it full of His mercy, and then pour it out at the feet of Jesus in eternity future to show all that is in heaven how good God was to you in your life. What a God we serve. How much He loves us. But to those that reject it, it's all foolishness to them. Someone said, well, how do I know when to witness and when not? Well, it's real easy. If they'll listen, witness. If they start scoffing, stop. You can't convince someone. That's, I believe, and it's listed in the Bible along with all of the great sins, the sin of debate. You see, God's word is not up for debate. God's love is not up for debate. It's not to be set upon a pinnacle and then we have two opposing sides here that decide, they go back and forth and try to win their argument. A successful debater can win both sides of the same argument. That's why we call them politicians. They can lie about both sides. 
debate has no part in God's love. It's not true because you prove it. That's why I'm not real happy with all these quote-unquote Christian apologists that run around today. Oh, we're going to prove that evolution is false and everybody will believe in God. <laughs> Give me a better joke than that. We're going to pay down the national debt. That's the only more ridiculous thing I've ever heard. People believe in evolution because they've already chosen to reject God. It doesn't work the other way around. It's a one-way equation. And until they refuse to stop rejecting God, you wouldn't convince them that evolution didn't happen? No matter what. If you made them a monkey, I don't know. But you see, God's plan for your life, number one, is that he wants to justify you through believing on Jesus Christ. He wants you to conform, he wants to conform you to the image of his son that Jesus might rightfully and honestly say, this is my brother. Talking about you. This is my family. My prayer is that if Jesus would visit Astoria, this would be the church he'd visit first. That's why we're so particular about the word of God. God wants you to understand his love. Because he wants you to be a vessel full of his mercy that can be poured out at the feet of Jesus to the glory of God in the ages to come. I love that picture. Let's go to chapter 11. Verse 32. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. How many of you have ever been the victim of prejudice? I think most of us have if you've done anything in this life. You see... God doesn't believe in that. It says he's concluded all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. You see, the Jewish people had made a mistake in their understanding of God. They began to believe God never intended this in his word, but they began to believe that they were saved or that they were special, that they had God's ear simply because of their physical heritage and nothing to do with their heart and their soul. Let me tell you something. Without a belief in your heart, you have no faith. 
And God cannot be approached without faith. Read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. For without faith, it's impossible. And all through the New Testament, the testimony is given. They were doing the right things, but there wasn't any faith involved. Therefore, God wouldn't accept it. God concluded them all. And that's the primary context of Hebrews chapter of Romans 11. God hath concluded them all in unbelief. I've met people, many people, and I'm not thinking of anyone in particular at this point, but I've met many well, I've always been saved. No. God hath concluded them all in unbelief. You were born an unbeliever. Your natural tendency is not to believe in God, but to reject God. That's why false religion has such a sway in the world. is because we have a natural tendency to believe in anything but God. And until we're willing to be condemned as an unbeliever, you can't be saved. Isn't that true? You must acknowledge your unbelief before God will save you. But God wants to save everybody. So we take the message to anyone who will hear because God wants to have mercy on all. How many of you have ever passed out tracks and you get one of these? Not even going to acknowledge you exist. Well, instead of feeling offended, you ought to feel pity. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the God that loves them, that wants to have mercy on them. But God, unlike man, will not give mercy to those that have not surrendered. Amen? Amen. One more. Let's go to Hebrews, I mean Romans chapter 14. Verse 9. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be, Lord, both of the dead and living. God's plan through the ages. As we finished last week, we finished in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that God may be all in all. He will be Lord of both the living and the dead. It's all about God and the great care and and meticulous work that is being done. And, And we don't have time this morning to talk about the Lamb's book of life and the books of the works of mankind. I I would hate to be the librarian in God's library. 
It has the history of every human being that has ever lived. The best estimates are somewhere between 11 and 25 billion people in the history of this earth. Say, why such a despair? Because nobody knows how many people were alive when the flood happened. Nobody knows. The earth could have easily had a billion people on it if you lived 900 years and had sons and daughters. I mean, it could have gotten quite crowded on earth. But do you know that we can still take the entire population of the world and stand it inside the city limits of Jacksonville, Florida? So don't, don't tell me about overcrowding. Now, maybe that we've gotten close to 7 billion, it might stretch over the limit just a little bit. But for every person that's alive to stand, Together, in one crowd, you could fit in an area the size of the city of Jacksonville. So don't, don't give me that overcrowding stuff. But God has kept track of every person. It says, if you stand before that great white throne, he's going to open the books. And he's going to judge you according to your works. He's got everything written down about you. But when you get saved, what happens? He sends another librarian to take your books off the shelf, the pages that deal with you, and every entry of your sin paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't tear the pages out and throw them away. That would not be proper accounting. You've accepted his lordship. His payment, His love, His mercy, His authority. He takes away your sin. He will be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But you have to decide which side you're going to be on in that day. That's why he's given you this gift called life. You have to make a decision. God's plan is that you might be justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ, began in Bethlehem's manger, and finished at an empty tomb in a hillside outside of Jerusalem where he ascended into heaven. He used the manger to show us the humility of God. What God has for us to help us understand the greatness of God's love. That he would make himself a man and subject to all the laws and shortcomings of man. And yet to prove us all sinners by his perfect standard of his own righteousness. The fact that we are sinners shows us our need for mercy from God. 
that we might have the victory both in life and in death. That God may be all in all. Where do you fit in God's plan? Are you surrendering to His work? Or are you resisting it? That's the question we need to answer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this day. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to move about. To touch that soul who has simply refused to obey your word. Lord, I pray that there would be those here today that understand that they're lost, that they would be willing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and just take the issue of their eternity, place it at the foot of your cross. Pray for those that are struggling with obedience to baptism and church membership and the cares and the weights of this life that they'd be willing to come back to the same place that they got saved and lay those things aside and just simply obey your word. Lord, we ask that those who toil upon the climbing way, as the songwriter wrote, would simply take a few moments to rest today and hear what your word has to say. You didn't send the angels, Lord. You've given us the command to carry your word into the world in which we live. We ask that you would let us hear your word and let you conform us to the image of your Son. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.